Okay, let me introduce myself. My name is Annette Miles. My husband, Steve, is the location pastor at Jubilee, Washington. I think most of you guys know that already. Um, I have six kids, five by birth and one by unofficial adoption. Um, that one recently moved to New Hampshire. She wants to, she's, she really has a heart for unreached people groups, so she's gonna be in the program there in New Hampshire. And then Deborah right here is my third born. Anna and Carissa have, have four daughters, Anna, Carissa, Deborah, and Sarah. And then one son, Ezra, who's a seventh grader this year. And um, he's, he had, he jumped on the opportunity. He had friends over to spend the night last night while all the girls were out of the house. <laughs> um, I've, I have lived, I'm almost 50. I've had a lot of different seasons. So I'm coming from, you know, a, a background of a whole lot of stuff. Um, hi, come on in. No, you're fine, you're fine. I've had all kinds of combinations of, you know, part-time work and full-time work and being home with kids and homeschooling and homeschooling and doing a part-time job and homeschooling with babies and you know, just all kinds of stuff. But I made a list here of all the things that I've actually done for pay so you can kind of get a feel for how many seasons I've been through. For pay, I have scooped ice cream, served fast food, painted houses. This is not in chronological order necessarily. <laughs> I've been a secretary receptionist at a beef slaughterhouse, but nobody else has done that. <laughs> I've done clerical work and sales at an athletic goods store. I've given private clarinet lessons. I've taught high school English, public and private, public and private schools. I've taught all manner of things in homeschool co-ops. Um, I've taught Bradley Method natural childbirth classes. I've taught remedial high school math. I've been the in-school suspension tutor in a public high school in a very impoverished district. That was an interesting job. I've done farm work and I've done professional gardening. Right now I'm a substitute teacher in Washington, Missouri. I'm doing seventh grade language arts for the next month. Um, I just want you to know there's lots of seasons back there for me. <laughs> um, on the write up on the website, uh, ask the question, have you ever considered that one of the gifts you bring to the body of Christ is your current season? And when Nancy hit that part of her talk, I thought, She's going to do my seminar <laughs> right here. <laughs> and, and I'm, you know, I'm writing in my notes, okay, Lord, give me faith for this. Because <laughs> I don't like to be repetitive. But on the other hand, I know that in my own life, sometimes God has to say the same thing to me many, many times before I really take it on board. So um, I have a little handout for you because that's the way I do things. My two oldest daughters were in here last time, and um, somebody came in with a box of Kleenexes, and, well, just in case anybody cries, and Anna just laughed. She said, nobody's going to cry in here, <laughs> which, that was almost right. <laughs> I know you may not be able to write on that, but, mm-hmm. Okay, the first thing at the top there, you see the four seasons listed. And circle your favorite one. Circle your favorite season at the top of that. You see the four seasons listed. Circle your favorite one. 
And after you do that, for each season, write one thing you like, at least one thing. If you've got more, you can write them down. But write down at least one thing that you like about each season. And then after you write down one thing you like about each season, write down one thing you dislike about each season, including your favorite one. For instance, I love summer, but I hate mosquitoes. So, you know, even though summer is my favorite, there's still something I dislike about summer. So one, one thing you like, one thing you dislike. You can, you can put more than one if you want. Okay, once you have that done, I mostly did that because I want you to think about your life seasons the same way. In every, how many of you had like your favorite uh, season is spring? Yeah, what's not to like about spring? But there's stormy weather, you know. Um, how many of you said autumn? The last group, most of them said autumn. Yeah, yeah. And that, did anybody say winter? Yeah. <laughs> That's, I, I hate winter, but I love Christmas. And I love snow, you know. If I could have more snow in the winter, I'd probably enjoy it more. Because the snow reflects the light, and that's what I miss in the wintertime is the light. So um, what I want you to think about is that life seasons are the same way. In every season, there's something to like and there's something to dislike. And it's all about what you choose to focus on. So that next thing on your handout, it says choosing. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. This, the, the next thing is that grid that has advantages and disadvantages. Out there on the left margin, write something about your current season of life. And then on the right margin, write maybe a season that you wish you could be in. For instance, when my kids were really little, you know, like baby to three-year-olds, I used to think, especially with the first two, I thought, oh, I just, I just want them to be old enough to play a game of Clue or something. <laughs> Let's just get on to the thinking stage. <laughs> and so whatever, whatever you might be tempted over here to look at, okay, this is the way it really is, but this is how I wish it would be. Fill those, just write, jot something in the margin. And then you can see those four boxes. Advantages of my current season, that's your reality right now. And across from that, advantages of my wishful season. You know, what are the things that maybe I wish I could be doing, advantages of that season. And then the bottom boxes, you've got disadvantages. Disadvantages of my current season and the disadvantages of my wishful season. And take a couple minutes and, and try to think of one thing for each of those boxes. Okay, now here's the main thing I want you to see about that box. By the way, I, my older sister, my oldest sister, Kathy, is she has a doctorate in 
counseling psychology and so it's really that's really an asset to have when you're a pastor's wife an older sister with a Christian older sister who loves Jesus who has a degree in counseling <laughs> you can imagine how often we've come up with pastoral concerns where Steve says why don't you ask Kathy about that <laughs> anyway she she actually uses this with some of her counseling clients next thing I want you to do on that grid draw an arrow from the lower left box to the upper right box. From lower left to upper right, point the arrow. Now, here's what we tend to do. When we start comparing our life season to some other life season, somebody else's or one of our own that we're not currently in, usually what we're doing we're looking at our current disadvantages and comparing them to somebody else's advantages, which is not a fair comparison at all. You know, I, I had a friend who, she's very much a career woman, but she had two kids. They were little, they were happy, they lived in the country. Her husband made enough money that she didn't have to work, but she was so antsy. She just, she could barely stand being home all day with them. And she told me her uncle came over one day, and he's looking at her sitting on her front porch, her little kids running around in the front porch in their big house, their big yard out in the country. And he says, Rhea, what are you complaining about? Look at your life. You know? <laughs> so what, what we do, though, you know, we don't look here. We don't focus at our, our, own, our, our own advantages over here. We look at our disadvantages and compare them to somebody else's advantages, which isn't really fair. So that verse, the next verse there on your handout is 2 Corinthians 10, 12. And I'm not going to take time to read it, but it basically says it's not, it's not really very wise to compare. It's, not, it's rarely helpful to compare yourself to somebody else. So best to not go there at all. At least if you're going to do it, do it fairly. Compare advantages to advantages and disadvantages to disadvantages. Okay, Philippians 4.11. I've got the word choosing there before Philippians 4.11. And um, the thing I want you to think about choosing is choosing contentment. So if you want to write in the word contentment... If you have, if you find yourself often tempted to compare to someone else's life season or even another season from your own life, the bottom line is you have to choose contentment. And this is Philippians 4, 11 through 13. It says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, most of us have memorized 4.13, but we don't take it in the context here. He's, what he's saying is, I can live in any circumstance. I can do all things. I can live in any circumstance because I've found the secret of being content. Um, some helpful things for me through the years 
I, this is just my personal experience that I wanted to share with you. The first one, some of you met the friends that we lived with. When, when my family first moved to Washington, Missouri two years ago, we ended up living an entire year with some friends of ours. And this, this friend, the, the woman, is a friend of mine from childhood. And when she and her husband first got married, it didn't really go the way she had it planned. They got married, and because he's bilingual and he's an electronics engineer, he got a job in Mexico. They lived in Arizona. He drove across the border. So here she is. She called me about, I don't know, three or four months into their marriage. And um, she was, I thought I was going to get a, kind of a sob story. And she starts telling me about her life. Basically, she's living in a mobile home in a trailer park with her husband. And no, he, he works really long hours. And there's nobody around there that she knows. She's like over a thousand miles away from any family or you know friends that she grew up with. She's pregnant. And that was a surprise. They hadn't planned to have kids right off. But, and I thought, oh. <laughs> <laughs> But what she said to me was so helpful. It was so biblical, and it was so full of God. She said, you know, I could spend a lot of time thinking about what if, but I've decided not to do that because it's not helpful. She said, I just say, these are the choices I've made, and this is the life God has given me, and I can work within these parameters. And I thought, you know, I was 20 at the time. I thought, what a great attitude. What a wonderful way to live. And then a couple years later, this was the second thing that was kind of that, you know, if you, if you let the what ifs haunt you, you can waste a lot of emotional energy on, well, what if I hadn't done this? Or what if I had done this instead of that? Or, and, um, a couple years after that conversation with Sharon, my mom gave me the Chronicles of Narnia as a college graduation gift because that's what I asked for. <laughs> I had never read them. And um, it was a very hot summer that summer. And Steve and I didn't have, he was still in college, and we had this little rental house that didn't have air conditioning. And it was one of those summers, it was in Joplin, one of those summers when we had like three or four weeks in a row where every day was 100 degrees or more. And here I am at home, no air conditioning. So my solution was to get him off to work in the morning, and then I would go to the library where the air conditioning was. <laughs> and I would sit in the library and read. So one of the things I read that summer was the Chronicles of Narnia. And when I came to this, this is in Prince Caspian. I hope you're familiar with the characters and the general story. Um, but Lucy, the youngest of the Pavinci kids, has seen Aslan, and he's, Aslan is the Jesus figure, and Aslan's calling her, come this way, but she's the only one who can see him. And so her older siblings say, you're crazy, we'll fall off the precipice if we go that way. And so she doesn't do it. But then, um, later that night, while all the rest of them are asleep, she wakes up and she sees him again. And she goes to him, and he, you know, they greet each other. And then, welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are? I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. I love that. 
For a time she was so happy that she did not want to speak, but Aslan spoke. Lucy, he said, we must not lie here for long. You have work in hand and much time has been lost today. Yes, wasn't it a shame, said Lucy. I saw you all right. They wouldn't believe me. They're all so... From somewhere deep inside Aslan's body, there came the faintest suggestion of a growl. I'm sorry, said Lucy, who understood some of his moods. I didn't mean to start slanging the others, but it wasn't my fault anyway, was it? The lion looked straight into her eyes. Oh, Aslan, said Lucy, you don't mean it was. How could I... I couldn't have left the others and come up to you alone. How could I? Don't look at me like that. Oh, well, I suppose I could. Yes, and it wouldn't have been alone. I know, not if I was with you. But what would have been the good? Have you noticed Aslan hasn't said anything here? He's just looking at her. Aslan said nothing. You mean, said Lucy rather faintly, that it would have turned out all right somehow. But how, please, Aslan, am I not to know? Now, if I were Lucy, I would have been stunned. Tell me! (laughs) I want to (laughs) know! She's just asking, am I not to know? And then his answer is so great. To know what would have happened, child, said Aslan. No, nobody is ever told that. Oh, dear, said Lucy. But anyone can find out what will happen, said Aslan. That was so freeing to me because it just, it was, there aren't any what ifs. Nobody is ever told. So don't spend your time thinking about it. You know, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't help. It doesn't move you into contentment. Um, The next thing, (laughs) My mom, my mom, she's just great. And she had all these things. You know, she quoted that verse from Philippians to us all the time. You know, I've learned in whatever circumstance to be content. She used to, she, (laughs) we used to have the thermostat wars in the wintertime. And she (laughs) put the verse up, a gentle answer turns away wrath. That was the verse over the thermostat. <laughs> but she, uh, she would say, this too shall pass. You know, whatever the trouble is, she would just say, this too shall pass. I'm sure you guys have all heard that, heard that saying. But, but the truth is, only eternity is forever. And Jesus has that all summed up. All the rest of it, this too shall pass. The other thing about my mom, she's, she has very consciously chosen contentment. She used to say to me, I just think my whole life, every season I've thought, this just must be the best season. She said, you know, when she, when she, when she became an adult, 18, she moved away from the farm and her little tiny town, very bravely went to Springfield, and it was a, I mean, it was such a big deal. She took a bus. Her dad sold a pig so she could go to school. And she takes this bus and she gets to Walnut Grove or something. And she thinks, oh, I'm here. It looks so big. <laughs> she wasn't even in Springfield. And 
but but you know she had that season of going to school and she thought oh this is so much fun this just must be the best season and then she worked full-time and lived with some other girls oh I'm having so much fun this must be the best season and every she said every stage of life having babies having elementary school kids and and uh, I was talking to my Aunt Jean one time and Aunt Jean said it's it's because your mother has always chosen to be thankful and content it's just that's all there is to it and even now she's 88 she has to walk with a walker she only gets out of the house to go to, the, to her doctor appointments she can't even go out on her front porch alone which she loves being outside I call her up how you doing mom oh as well as could be expected or she'll say well nothing hurts today <laughs> You know, there's always there's always something that's you know she can give a good report about. Um, think of someone you know who is happy. Just someone that you think of a generally happy person. Have you got somebody in mind? Do you ever think, oh, her life must be perfect? It's an illusion. Her life isn't perfect because we all live in a fallen world and we all feel the weight of the consequences of sin. It's, you know, nobody's life is perfect. Your person that you were thinking of has chosen contentment and that's why his or her life looks pretty great. Um, I've got the next thing on that handout, keys to contentment. The first one, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. This was the first verse that was read last night at the beginning of worship, and it came up in Brian's prayer as well. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That the thing I want to underline there is thankfulness. I have a friend in Joplin who, when she was 25 and her husband was 28, he died of skin cancer, and she was left with a four-year-old, a three-year-old, a one-year-old. She had no college education. She had no job experience at all. They had enough life insurance for a cremation, and that was it. So you can imagine you know, you may think you've been in hard circumstances. Well, that's a hard circumstance. And um, God really, really was faithful and took care of her. And um, at some point, I remember talking to her, and she was kind of a Nazi about, <laughs> she, it, she didn't like the word magic. And I understand, because you don't want to get your kids confused about black magic and stuff like that. Um, but she wouldn't even hardly use the word. And she said to me one day, you know I use this word very carefully, but thankfulness is magical. And she said, it changes the atmosphere around you. And I've thought about that so many times. When I'm tempted to complain, thankfulness is magical. It changes my own heart. It changes the attitudes of the people around me. So that's, that is a big, big key to contentment. And the other one I have down there, um, Hebrews 13.5, the other key, thankfulness is the first one. The other one is believing the promises. And I love this verse. 
13, Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Could it be any more plain than that? If you believe the promise that Jesus is with you, you can be content in anything. And the other verse there, Hebrews 11.10, I actually like the way this is stated better in the message. Um, But this is talking about Abraham. When he left his home country and took off to obey God, says, for he was he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. In the message, he says, for an unseen city. And that goes back to that thing of, hey, Jesus has it all summed up. You've got to believe the promise that your eternity awaits you out there, and it's perfect. And Jesus is there, and he's got it all taken care of already. So when you believe that, when you get that eternal perspective, it's so much easier to deal with, okay, this is what I have to deal with today. All right, next thing, I have to keep moving my stuff around so I can see everything. Okay, on the back of that handout, first thing, now now promise me you won't work ahead. <laughs> Identify your current season in a few words or phrases. You know, are you working full time? Are you staying home with kids? Are you, you know, yeah, whatever, whatever you're doing right now, just jot that down. Your current season. My sister that I told you about, she um, didn't get married until she was 42, but she didn't wait around just doing nothing. All she, she was one of those, you know, me, I was all set to have a career. I'm, you know, on this, I'm going to be a college professor. That was my path that I wanted to take. And somehow I fell in love. (laughs) I almost, I almost, after four and a half years of dating, said to Steve, no, I think I'm going to be a career woman. And I asked my parents one at a time, and they both said, what are you, crazy? <laughs> but, um, the, you know, my sister had that long span of being single. Are any of you in here single? Are there any singles? Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, there were some things that I, I emailed Kathy, and I said, I've got some, some encouragement for moms of young children, and do you have anything for me that I could share with singles for encouragement? And, um, and this is, this, maybe you're single and you want to be married, maybe you're single and you're happy being single, and it fi- it's fine either way. But some of the things that she wrote down for me, she said, and this is true of any, any stage of life, she said, it's important to always remember, I can do this for today. You know, if you, if you have a newborn and you're dealing with getting up two or three times in the night, if you thought you had to do that for the rest of your life, it might kill you. <laughs> but if you can say, okay, I can do this for today. And it's the same with being single. Just because you say, I can do this for today, doesn't mean you're committing to a life of singleness. It means 
I can do this for today, and by God's grace, you can. Um, singleness is a season. Most all women are single at some point in their lives. Most of us will outlive our spouses. You know, if we weren't single when we were young, we'll be single when we're older. It doesn't mean, you know, there's nothing, there's no more of personhood in marriage than there is in singleness. You are loved by Jesus. You don't get your identity from a man. You never have, you never will. It's your identity is in Jesus, and that's really important. To, that's one of the things Nancy said. Um, set goals and work toward accomplishing them. It will help you feel like you're moving in a direction because you will be. That's that's another thing I love about my sister. She <laughs> she didn't just sit around waiting for the right man to come along. She got a master's, she got a doctorate, she taught college, she was a missionary to three different countries, she learned fluent Spanish, she plays, uh, she can play all kinds of instruments, but you know, she's very proficient at several, and she, you know, she didn't stop developing while she was waiting for the right man. Um, don't wait for marriage to make a home. Most of us really express ourselves a great deal in the way we decorate our homes. So, you know, whether you're with, with some other girls in a roommate situation or you're living alone or maybe you're older and you have an adult child li living with you, it's still your home and you should express yourself in it. Um, don't wait for marriage to show hospitality. You know, all of us are capable, if, if we have a place at all, and even if you don't really have a place where you feel like you have enough space for hospitality, hospitality can include hey, let me take you out to lunch, or let's go get coffee. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be at your house. Um, I really like this one. She said, read Proverbs 31 and notice that only a few of the things on the list have to do exclusively with married women. Most of us think that way because early in the passage, it says something about her husband trusts her. But a lot of those individual things don't require a husband. And then, you know, if you're single and you want to be married, focus on being the best person for marriage versus finding the best person to marry. It's so, it's so important. I used to do, some of you, maybe a couple of you are, are at the right age, I used to do an illustration at summer camp with, you know, different kinds of plates and different kinds of glasses. And, you know, a paper plate, a melamine plate, a ceramic plate, a china plate, a paper cup, a Tupperware cup, um, just a regular drinking glass and a crystal goblet. And basically, I'd say, look, girls, if you want to marry a china plate man, don't be a paper cup girl. <laughs> you, what, whatever you're aiming for, you be the right match for that. Don't go shopping for china. Think, what can I do? to become a crystal goblet. You know, there's a big difference in those kind of <laughs> different ways of thinking. Um, the other the other group, are, anybody in here have young children? No, Lissy does. Okay, this, um, I've got a couple things. <laughs> this stage is very near and dear to my heart because it was so long for me. <laughs> in fact, when we were selling our house in Joplin to move to Fort Scott to plant a church, we had this great front porch with this humongous porch swing. All seven of us could sit on this porch swing at the same time. I mean, the little ones had to be on laps, but it was terrific, yeah. So 
I, you know, it was time to move. And I'm sitting on this porch swing, nursing Ezra, my littlest one, and I thought, oh my goodness, I have thought that this was gonna be my life forever, sitting on this porch swing, nursing babies. You know, it was just like dawning on me. I'm not forever going to sit on this porch swing nursing babies. <laughs> so, um, Dr. Dobson, Dr. James Dobson, whom I really respect a great deal, he says that the mom of, you know, that birth to five years old, that window is the most difficult job on the face of the planet. And I couldn't agree more. It is the most work intensive job you will ever do. Um, some, of the, some of the things that were really helpful for me, pregnancy, um, my friend Sheila, I was pregnant with Deborah, who's sitting right here with us, and I'm chasing around Anna and Carissa, who are, you know, three and a half and one and a half, and I was just exhausted all the time, and, uh, and I felt bad because I couldn't get this done, I couldn't get that done, and, and my friend Sheila <laughs> said to me one day, you are growing a person. And she said, every cell in your body knows that. Why don't you get on board? <laughs> and it was just really helpful for me to go, okay, yeah, this is the season I'm in. I'm not going to get a lot of stuff accomplished. And then when uh, somewhere in there, I don't remember who was a baby, but <laughs> I was listening to Wendy Virgo talk one time, and, and this statement just really stood out for me. She said, babies can't think but they do feel and I thought yeah that's right and I remembered back to when um, when Anna was a baby we were at a family reunion she was about four months old and my uncle who has five children said well everybody was commenting on how happy Anna was and my uncle said happy mom and pop happy baby you know pretty much the way it goes and and then when Carissa was born, our second one, bless her heart, we were in a church. My husband was on staff in a denominational church, and the church split two weeks before she was born. And it was the most horrific. It was prob it's probably the hardest thing Steve and I have had to walk through. Well, you can imagine what that did to her as a baby. You know, she, she couldn't think. We couldn't tell her what had happened. But she felt it for sure. She cried. She, my, she's my only baby who cried almost nine, nonstop for five months. So it's really important when you're in that stage with babies that you keep the peace of God. You keep yourself in the peace of God and the love of God because those babies are going to feel it. If you're in the toddler stage, toddlers are soaking up knowledge and values. I love the language acquisition stage. I think it's just the best. Um, talk to them a lot. I was the day that I was preparing this stuff. I was at the botanical garden, and there were very few people there because it was a weekday. And this mom comes by, and she's got a stroller, and she's got a, looked like an 18-month, and she's just talking to that kid. No baby talk. No, no bringing down the vocabulary. She's just talking to. I thought that is great. That child is going to have a terrific vocabulary and really clear enunciation. <laughs> Um, talk to them a lot, read to them a lot, and be highly selective about what they watch because they're soaking it all in. 
Um, what you are doing as a mom is massively important for the kingdom of God. And it's so easy to feel like your life is so hidden and so shadowed and nobody notices. And my mom has a t-shirt that says, life is just so daily. <laughs> and, and it's true. And especially when you're in that stage with little kids, it just feels like life is so daily. I have something I want to read to you guys. I wrote this, I think it was 1995, and it was for a homeschooling newsletter. And I think Anna, Carissa, and Deborah were five, three, and one when I wrote this. I called it, Of Servants, Genies, and Eternal Greatness. Have you ever spent a day like this? You wake up in the morning to the sound of your crying baby who wants to be nursed. Before you can get everybody dressed and fed, your neighbor calls and asks if you can babysit her two children while she goes to the doctor. Then while you're trying to get your day going, your preschooler falls and hits her head and wants to be comforted. Next, your kindergartner balks because she didn't want to start with phonics, which is what you had planned. That would be Anna. <laughs> the day continues with an endless series of requests for help. Would you button my shirt? Can you play the memory game with me? Please read me a book. Wah, wah. <laughs> which, <laughs> which translated means, slow down, Mom. Sit in the rocker and hold me. Once when I was having just such a day, the final sanity-breaking request was when I stepped out on the back porch, headed for the clothesline with a load of laundry, and the cat started howling at me for food. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, I pictured myself as Aladdin's genie, enslaved forever to do the will of others. I looked at Frosty and said, Poof! What do you need? <laughs> a bird chirped in the yard, and I said, Poof! What do you need? One of the children yelled in the house, and I said, Poof! What do you need? <laughs> As I wrote about that day in my journal, I realized that I should stop despising the discipline of the Lord. Jesus said that the greatest in his kingdom are the ones who would serve. Just as an athlete is disciplined by an exacting exercise regimen, we mothers have an exacting service regimen. What a prime opportunity to attain greatness in God's kingdom. Let's see this as discipline, not punishment, by a loving Father helping prepare us for eternity. And that, that eternal perspective, it just makes all the difference in the world. Okay, we've got just a, a few minutes left. On the back there, um, you've got some, it's just a place for you to spend a little time reflecting. Um, you've written down your current season. And there's some stuff, write out some opportunities you have now that you may not have in another season. You know, if you're at home with little kids, this is your prime time to reach other moms who are home with little kids. And if you're working full time, you have coworkers that you will not have in another season. This is, this is your opportunity to show the love of Jesus to those people. Um, one of the things I love about my current stage is that I have one middle schooler and one high schooler, and we bought a house that's a mile away from the middle school and the high school in Washington so that it's easy for them to have friends over. You know, it's a great, you know, hospitality with school-age kids can be so, so effective. So you've got places there, list people, by name or by category that you could 
you have or could have contact with now that you won't in another season. List ways that you could serve now that may not be possible in another season. And then we kind of need to wrap up, so I want to read this last scripture. It's Titus 2, 3 through 5. And this, Paul is writing to Titus, who's a young pastor, and just giving him instruction on how to teach groups of people. And um, he basically tells Titus, now you teach the older women this, and they can teach the younger women this stuff. And it says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So the main concept I want you to get is that these women from this season are to be in relationship with these women from this season. And the day that that really, really came home to me, on my 40th birthday, um, Steve said, take the day off, go do whatever you want. And my birthday's in late November, and I went to the farm where my mom grew up. Well, when I was little, you know, that's grandma's house, and we would go there several times a year. But I I was never allowed to walk the perimeter by myself. And, and I could never get my bearings there. I knew that the house faced west, but I just couldn't get, like, where is it? In, it was kind of a twisty road getting back there. And where is it in relation to the main road? Where is it in relation to the creek? I just couldn't get it. So here I am on my 40th birthday, and I decided to walk the perimeter. It's about 120 acres. And as I'm walking, I, all of a sudden, oh, oh, there's that house across the main road. Well, that means the main road's right there. And I start seeing all this, and it just dawned on me, the leaves are down. That's why I can see the leaves are not on the trees. Usually when we were there, it was when the leaves were on the trees. And, and God just spoke to me and said, you have a different perspective because it's a different season. And he, he said to me, you need to be in relationship with women who are in other seasons besides yours. We all gravitate to people who, you know, it's really easy for me to relate to women with grown children and with teenagers. We all gravitate to our peer group. But it's really important. I want to encourage you to reach across the seasons and be in relationship with at least one woman who's ahead of you and one woman who's coming up behind you because you know there's so much that this is something else we bring to the body of Christ is the ability to give perspective to each other this is my season and here's what I can see you know like me being able to say those years with those little kids they don't last they really don't you're not going to sit on the porch swing nursing babies forever (laughs) so okay we need to wrap up